The church I see is a great church. It's great because of the way people love. The church I see is passionately in love with Jesus. Worship is exuberant, heartfelt and real. The church I see has a love for people that means people on the fringes feel included, people at their lowest get lifted, and people at their most desperate can know hope and another chance at life. The church I see is great because of the reputation, respect and relevance it has in the community. The church I see is a growing church. People are growing in their knowledge of God, in their commitment to God and growing in their influence in the world. The church I see is obsessed with the Great Commission. Hundreds of people become Christians as believers build relationships, pray and share their faith. The church I see exists for the unchurched and will move, alter or change anything if it means that more people get a chance to hear and understand the gospel message. The church I see is a faithful church where people have accepted the call to live sacrificial, unselfish lives of servanthood as Jesus did. The church I see is a generous church that is prepared to look, send and give outside of itself for the sake of the kingdom. The church I see is a family church where hundreds of children and young people are reached for Christ. The elderly feel accepted and valued and where the lonely know that they truly belong. The church I see is a creative church that values excellence and giftedness and encourages everyone to contribute to the vision. Church I see is a kingdom-oriented church where every week hundreds of God-inspired people invade their own world, intent on making a difference for God, empowered by the Holy Spirit and committed to the cause of Christ. The church I see helps people make sense of life. A church people turn to as a first resort rather than a last. A church that leads the way, sets the temperature, a can-do church that asks why not more often than it asks why. The church I see is a great church. The church I see is this church. church I see, the church I see, it moves me every time that uh, I watch that and I listen to that and we're going to use that as uh, something of an introduction into into what we're saying here. We're in a a series called The Church I See (laughs) and we're using that, that DVD, what you've just watched and uh, listened to, The Church I See. It's a, it's a vision statement for us, it's an, an ethos for us, for us here in this church to move us and to to direct us into the future. In the series, Leon got us started last week talking about where church came from in the Bible, that this is God's church, it's God's church, and that Jesus started it, that Jesus sustains it, and that Jesus must be at the center of it. This week, I'm going to be looking at church as a community, a community moving from the church I see to the church we see where it's about us, about us, our relationships and our joint ownership of the, the vision. Next week, Leon is back and finishes with the church others see. And he'll be talking about the, the world around us and the church's position in society and, and culture. For me personally, for, for years now, 
I've been on something of a, a journey with this. I don't know how much you think about church, but you're probably the same whether you, you know it or not. You're on a personal journey, experiencing church, active in church, asking questions about church. What is it? How does it work? How should it work? If you've been a a Christian for a, a number of years, you may have experienced church at its best, reaching out, relational, creative, and showing grace and forgiveness. You may also have experienced church at its worst, isolated, dysfunctional, irrelevant, and judgmental. The best and the worst. And I think people don't necessarily give up on God, but depending on what they experience here, they can often give up on church. And this is where we're at. This is where I'm at. I'm desperate. I'm desperate to see church become everything that Jesus intended it to be. So we go to the Bible, we go to the Bible and ask where church came from and the word gets used for the first time in Matthew 16 verse 18 where Jesus is talking to the disciples and directly to Peter and he said, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The word in the original is ecclesia, it is translated as church. And speaks of the the people of God, those that follow Jesus. A community, a community with with Christ, with God at the centre. And when you start looking for that, when you start looking for a community with God at the centre, it's all over in every book of the Bible. Starting with Genesis, there is a, a community, a community. In Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God spoke, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the mystery of the the Trinity, three in one, a relationship that is beyond our understanding, but it's community. And God breathed life into Adam, and creation itself wasn't complete until there was community. Adam needed Eve before humanity was whole. From there we get Cain and Abel, community already going wrong with bloodshed. And then to Noah where one man and his family found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And God saved them so that he could restore a God-centred community. Then we come to Abraham where God spoke and revealed himself to one man. But with the intention of calling and forming the people of God. Forming a a community centred on God. And then to Moses where again God spoke to one man but with the intention of saving and delivering the people of God. God called an individual but he formed and he saved and he delivered a community. In Exodus there is a community that is on the move. In Leviticus, there is a community that is learning to, to worship. In Numbers, there is a community that is being counted. In Deuteronomy, there is a community that is learning the law. In Joshua, there is a community that is taking the land. All through the Old Testament, even in the prophets who were often seen as loners out in the desert, strange and intense individuals, but their purpose, their message was delivered into a community bring restoration and healing and correction 
to God's people. You come to realize God never works with individuals in isolation, but always with people in a community. And the seeds of community are sown throughout the Bible by God. And for me, the the greatest example, the most meaningful time comes with Jesus and his words and deeds. Matthew, Mark, Luke and and John are four accounts of the the life of Jesus. They're told with a, a different emphasis, but they cover the same time period. And during that time, Jesus worked with 12 disciples and he lived with them in community. Jesus was, God was at the the center. And for me, this is like church in embryo, not yet birthed, but being created, being formed in the disciples' hearts and in their minds. They were experiencing it for themselves. And there were, there were so many great teaching moments from Jesus. His words, his deeds. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't work it out in isolation like the guru, the holy one, the distant and removed one that you go through some sacred rites before you get to meet him. Jesus worked it out. He demonstrated who he was in the midst of community. With the disciples, with the, with the crowds pressing in on him, his life, his actions and reactions were, were totally on show. I don't know about you, but when I read through the Gospels, there's a a deep sense of humanity there, definitely with the disciples. Peter, the the headstrong, Judas, the schemer and the the traitor, James and and John, the the sons of thunder. I mean, where did that come from? Thomas and his need for proof, John and his need for intimacy. The arguments, uh, the frustrations, uh, the falling out, the the speaking out. I realize the need to, to be careful reading and imagining what it would have been like, but being real, being logical. This was a group of of 12 men from very different walks of life that Jesus called together and that he relationally invested into. And they became a a world-changing force. And I can imagine a lot, a lot of laughter, a lot of great conversations going long into the evening. A lot of encouraging. A lot of face-to-face deep and meaningfuls. And we get moments, teaching moments in the scriptures. Just one of these comes in Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Jesus is, Jesus is telling the people what the, the kingdom of heaven is, is like. And he, he uses a, a parable, his preferred teaching style. And it's about a vineyard and hiring workers. And he finishes the parable. And in verse 16, Jesus says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's a great finish, a a teaching moment. But it's totally missed because later on, two of the disciples, or at least their mom, is getting it all wrong. It says in verse 20 that the mother of Zebedee's sons, Zebedee's sons, These were the the two disciples that Jesus called sons of thunder. It seems they needed their mom, the mother of thunder, to speak up for them. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked her a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. 
The conversation went on as Jesus explained about what she was asking of him. But then the other ten disciples got to hear about it. And that caused an argument, a, a falling out. And in verse 25, Jesus got all the disciples back together. I don't know. We often see Jesus as being really passive. But here, I'm not so sure. I can see him getting more physical with the disciples. These were were men. They needed strong handling. They needed a a strong talking to. And Jesus said, You know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as ransom for many. Great teaching. Jesus is resetting community. He is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's just one teaching moment in the lives of the disciples. And if you want to get the fullest outworking of this, we need to go to Matthew Chapters 5 and 6 and and 7 with the the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus starts off and he says, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Great teaching as Jesus continues on. And that can be read over and over and over again. And the church exists. The church exists to show what the community of God, what the kingdom of God looks like to the world. And we can read and we can study the Bible and we need to do that. But we're discipled. We learn about ourselves. We learn about Jesus. We have the opportunity to become more like him because of each other. Because of each other. Because of this. Because of church. Because of the constant interaction and and conversations through the successes and the the failures, the best and the, the worst. We disciple each other if we're listening And if we're trying, and if we're prepared to learn and to grow and to to say sorry when we make mistakes or get it wrong. This is the church we see. A community with Jesus at the center. Ted Engstrom, the former head of Youth for Christ, he once said, Give away your friendship and you will receive friendship in return. Give away yourself and your better self will return to you many times over. Jesus said in Mark 8 verse 35, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And this, this community of Christ is here on a Sunday gathered in numbers and this community is also out there in the week gathered in homes two expressions of the the same community and it's often through the the small relational groups where we really get to experience this interaction these conversations this discipling of each other because it's in these small relational groups where we've got the time to to be open And we've got others, believers around us that we can trust and we can open up to. And we can can know that they're going to be honest with us. We can look at the 
Bible together. We can talk and we can listen and we can worship and we can pray. And I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you're not in a, a life group, the name we give to our small relational groups, if you're not in a life group, then really for me, they're essential. It's where we get discipled. It's where we get involved relationally and actively involved with each other. It's where we do life together as church. Just at the, the back there, there's some information on these groups. And if you want to put your name down on the sheet there, then we can give you a call and get you involved in one of these small relational groups. And I want to encourage you as well, if you are in a life group, which many of you are, let's remain committed to this. I've been in small groups for maybe 15 years now and I've experienced so much, not all of it great. Sometimes in a group I've asked myself why I even showed up. <laughs> but then, but then you sense God's presence. You sense his presence in that group. Or you gain a, a closer relationship with someone and you walk through something with them and you realize, you realize this is church. We are church. This is a community with Christ at the center. And for me, there are marks and there are, there are measures to this. And I want to talk about these, although I'm sure they will sound familiar. The first one has already come in, and that is openness and trust. Going deeper in relationship, being church requires this. It requires us, like Jesus, to, to work it out in the midst of community where our lives and our actions and, and reactions and who we are is totally on show to everyone. There's a, a challenge in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul writes this in verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And it's a question, a question that I regularly ask myself, my example in this church, in this community. My example as a, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a servant, as a, as a leader. What people see, if they follow it, does it mean they're following Christ? And we're all learning here. We're all growing here, but it must be our intent, our desire that we're setting a Christ-like example in our lives. The second mark for me is about acceptance and grace and forgiveness. And this is this is all about the gospel, all about the, the good news, all about what Christ did for us when we were saved. And we're carriers. We're carriers of, of that message. Our lives communicate that message. We live it out. In Mark 11, Mark 11, there's another teaching moment for Jesus with the disciples. He's talking about prayer. And in verse 25, he, he says this. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins god isn't worried he isn't worried about religion standing to to pray out of duty he's worried about reality our relationship with him and our relationships with each other in this community that's what god's worried about because it's when people see that when they see the the closeness when they see the acceptance and the grace and the forgiveness among us, that they're attracted to it. And that they realize there is something different here in this church, in us. And they may come to realize that the difference is Christ. 
Thirdly, thirdly, there's joy and hope, and that's a measure. If you've ever heard Jeff Lucas speaking, who's one of the, the best Christian communicators you'll ever get to hear, he uses the phrase, the frozen chosen, when he talks about the look and feel of some Christians, some churches, the frozen chosen. And straight off, straight off, you know what he's talking about, don't you? <laughs> You've experienced it. Hopefully not here, the frozen chosen, cold and miserable Christians. And yet, and yet, in the Bible, in the Bible, in Colossians 1, it talks about Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of glory, something beyond where we're at in this life that gives us a sense of a joy, a, a resilient happiness that comes from Christ because he saved us and we're going to be with him in glory. But this isn't just about the future. This is about now, about now. In this church, in this community, we can experience that now. And looking back, looking back for me, I've laughed a lot here. So many good times with great people, either at home or overseas, serving together from washing up to, to winning people to Christ, all for the glory of God. Memories, memories. And my life, and I'm sure your lives, your lives here are so much richer so much more fulfilling because of the friends you've made, the people you love and care for. The church is a community of joy and hope. And I know there's so many more great times ahead for us. Fourthly, fourthly, the service and, and sacrifice. And when Jesus said that anyone that comes after him must deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow him. When he said that, he defined a community, he defined the church and he gave it its most potent symbol, the cross. We are all individuals. We are individuals and that's important. But even before that, we're a community. We're called to lay down our lives for each other. And I find it, I find it moving now. I'm sure we all get this at, uh, at times. I'm there singing or I'm, I'm there praying. And I'm asking myself the question, am I singing this song for me? Am I praying this prayer for me? And increasingly the answer is no. See, if we look around, if we look around, do that now. If you just look around, look at each other, look at each other. This is church. Look at the, look at the faces we're seeing people, we're seeing people that we know, people we've done life with, people we've laughed with, people we've cried with. We know what they've been through, what they're going through. And we're singing the songs and we're praying the prayers and we're singing them with them and we're praying with them. We're together, we strengthen and we stand in the gap for each other. Our lives, our lives are not our own. They belong to God and they belong to each other. These are the, the marks and the, the measures of us as a, as a church. Openness and trust, acceptance, grace and forgiveness, joy and hope and service and, and sacrifice. And there's one more measure, one more measure. Today, I don't know if you know that, but today is Racial Justice Sunday. And we want to recognize that here in this church. See, one other measure of community, maybe the, the most important, is how it cares for those 
who are discriminated against. Those that are disempowered, the vulnerable and the, the isolated. And the church must be working for justice and involved in social action. There's some information at the back there on this. And there's more to come. We've got our week coming up where George Schneiman from Hands at Work is going to be speaking on the Sunday, that Sunday the 31st of October. And we're going to be producing life group notes around issues of justice and, and social action. The theme for this year's Racial Justice Sunday is migration. Migration. Which is the movement of, of people either across an international border or within a state, and it includes the migration of refugees or displaced persons or uprooted people or economic migrants. And the teaching that goes with this, the teaching, it, it talks about the building of bridges or the building of barriers. And it asks the question, asks the question that the expert in the law asked Jesus. It comes in Luke 10, and the question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered that man with the parable of the good Samaritan. It's really challenging teaching. And I've got a prayer here, a prayer here that's been set out for us to pray here. And it'd be good to pray it through right now, just as part of what we're saying, because this is church. This is what we do. So if you want to close your eyes, if you want to close your eyes and listen, I'm going to pray this prayer through. And as we do that, let's think about racial justice all the issues there and let's think about Jesus and his teaching his parable the good Samaritan and let's ask ourselves that question who is my neighbor heavenly God we praise your name and thank you for your glorious goodness and mercy Lord Jesus, we pray a blessing for all those actively engaged in the struggle for racial justice. Holy Spirit, we ask you to enter into the minds and hearts of all those in authority, those in the church and in the government. Cause them to hear the voices crying out for justice. Cause them to engage in developing a better understanding. Cause them to act to bring about change. Cause them to lead and inspire others by their good example. We ask this through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The love of God is greater than all evil. We pray for racial justice in our lives, in our local area, in our nation. Amen. Amen. Like I say, there's information at the back there if you want to know more. I also want to say about a, a book here. In working on this, I've been reading this book, this book here by Philip Yancey. It's called Soul Survivor, and it's got a really challenging intro on the back. It says, we stand at the dawn of the 21st century, yet we still struggle to understand the ways in which God taught us to live. Even the church has distorted the message, damaging lives and confusing countless people in the process. Then it asks the question, it asks the question, is it possible to live a meaningful life of faith in a world where religion has caused so much harm? The book goes on. It goes on to tell the stories of people like Martin Luther King, people like Dr. Paul Brand, Annie Dillard, and Henry Nguyen. People that answered that question with a powerful yes, yes, 
Yes, we can live a, a meaningful life of, of faith. And these people often spoke and challenged and moved the church as a result. It's a great read. Something that affirms why we believe what we believe. The good news. The good news about Jesus Christ and that the church, the church can be and must be a world-changing force. It's there. Soul Survivor. It's available down in the coffee shop. Coming back. Coming back, though, to the church we see. Another term. Another term that is used for the church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And as we move on and give some time to communion and then go through to the finish, I want to look at that. See, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word body, body, it can give the impression of, of death, like with CSI, crime scene investigation. Anyone watch that? Yeah, great. Crime scene investigation, where they're looking at a, a, a dead body for, for evidence. But the body, the body that we're talking about here is very much alive. It's alive. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul goes into a, a discussion, a discussion about that body. He talks about the hands and the feet, the eyes and the ears. He talks about the importance of every part and how they, how they are unique, but they are all joined and they form one body. And it's essential. It's essential teaching for us as a church because we're it. We're it. We're the body of Christ. We're joined together. We're Christ. We're Jesus to the world. I know that's nothing new to a lot of us to hear that. But it's got a hold of me again. We're the body of Christ. Fully alive. Fully active. We're the hands that reach out, that give food and, and water, that comforts with an arm around the shoulder. We're the feet that go to places reaching the unreached carriers of the, the good news. We're the heart that has compassion for the hurting and breaks for the things that break God's heart. We're the mind that thinks God's thoughts. We're the eyes that see what goes on in the world, that are prepared to look into dark places so that evil can be exposed. We're the ears that listen to people's stories, that listen to their confessions. We're the mouths that speak forgiveness, grace and mercy and that speak up for those that don't have a, a voice. And that's the picture that I want us to see here. The hands, the feet, the heart, the mind, the eyes, the ear, the mouths. And we may think we're more of a talker than a listener. More of an activist, a hands and feet person than a thinker and a, and a speaker. But none of that matters. What matters is that we're joined together. That we love each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. What matters is that we're one body. We're the church. And for me, for me, uh, an example of this is when as a church, as the body of Christ, we gather for communion. We pull in around this table, around this meal. And it's unfortunate because of the logistics of it that we can't physically do this and get around here and face each other across the table and stand together shoulder to shoulder. Because that's where it started out with Jesus. Not being religious, but being relational with his disciples, who he had lived with, who he had done life with. He was now spending his last night with, together, because they loved each other. And they watched, and they listened, and they were served by Jesus. 
if the band want to just come back, we're going to take communion together. And I want to read some words of scripture as we do that. Again, it's in 1 Corinthians where Paul describes this gathering around the table. In 1 Corinthians 11, he writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is church. This is the body gathered around the table, remembering Jesus until he comes again. And if the servers want to come forward, what we're going to do is serve this out to you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to listen to a song. It's a new song, and as you feel comfortable with it, feel free to start to join in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray in our minds you would give us that image of yourself, of yourself at the table breaking the bread and pouring out the wine and calling us around you and saying those words about what it means, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. Lord, give us that picture in our minds so that we can see it and know that you're ministering to us. And God, I pray you would minister to us where we're at. Lord, you'd minister healing, you'd minister life, you'd minister forgiveness, you'd minister grace, you'd minister direction. Lord, you'd minister security, you'd minister hope, you'd minister mercy and forgiveness. God, minister into our lives as we take this. Lord Jesus, it's all about you. We can't do anything through our human strength, but you can through your spirit. So God, I pray you do that right now as we take this together as the body of Christ. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. right that the the prayers are are flowing from this and I want to speak one more picture into this one final picture of the of the church and just to keep this this attitude of worship as I do this because it comes from the Psalms which are God's worship book really comes in Psalm 133 and it at first reading of that Psalm it seems abstract but let's Let's see how it goes. It feels right to do this. It says, how good, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head and running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore 
for centuries. For centuries, this psalm was sung on the road as masses of, of God's people climbed their way up to Jerusalem for, for festival worship. Everyone, everyone sharing a common purpose. Everyone traveling a common path. Everyone striving towards a common goal. The path and the purpose and the goal being God. And there are two poetic images here. Two poetic images. The first image describes community as precious oil. Like precious oil poured on the head and running down on Aaron's beard and down upon the collar of his robes. This image comes from Exodus 29 where instructions were were given for the ordination of Aaron and the, the other priests. The second image describes community as Jew. As Jew, as if the Jew of Hermon were falling down on Mount Zion. Hermon is the the highest mountain in that part of the world. It it rises to a height of over 9,000 feet. And at that height, the Jew would totally drench you in the morning. These two images speak about community, God's community. The oil communicates warm, priestly relationship. And the Jew communicates fresh and expectant newness. And then, and then at the end of Psalm 133, there's a hint. There's a hint of heaven. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. This is heaven. This is heaven where relationships are warm and expectancies are, are fresh. And church, church here and now when at its best, when at its best, gives us a hint of heaven. It shows us what heaven is going to be like, enjoying life together. And that will be completed. That will be completed in our life everlasting. Let's just pray and then continue on to worship God. God, a hint of heaven a hint of heaven here on earth. And God, we want to be a church that strives after that, that can show that to the world, that when people walk in, they think, oh, I've encountered a gathering of believers and there's something of heaven in this. There's something of God in this. And people would meet you as a result of who we are and who we're becoming. God, I pray in our lives you would give us a hint of heaven. In our relationships, as we are church here, the body of Christ, we would get a hint of heaven in what we do and what we say and what we walk through together. God, lay this on our hearts through your spirit. And Lord, give us a vision that is going to carry us on for your glory. Just pray that in the name of Jesus. And God, we want to continue to worship you now because it's all about you. It's all about you. We love you and we praise you and we worship you forever.